0: Today's scripture reading will be from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, praise, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, New Hope. It's good to see all of you. Time change in awe. I hope everyone got a good night's sleep, and um, I hope no one shows up here at 2.30, hoping for a worship service. They're going to get a recital instead. Um, I want to invite you to pray with me. Our God and our Father, we are privileged to be in your presence, and we thank you for that privilege. And Lord, we want to ask that not only would you welcome us into your presence, but that you would work powerfully in us and among us. Lord, we ask that you would work powerfully by your Holy Spirit, that your Holy Spirit would come, and and that you, Holy Spirit, would cast out unbelief and doubt. And Lord, that you would replace it with faith, with a deep-seated, Trust in you and in everything that you say. Lord, we ask that you would replace fear with confidence in you. That you would replace disobedience and rebellion in our hearts towards you with obedience and a loving fidelity. Lord, we're asking for rescue, we're asking for transformation. We know that these things are very much within your power. In fact, they are what you are very much about doing in your people and for your people. So, Lord, help us as we consider your word this morning. Not just to take in facts, Lord, and not even just to seek to respond mechanically by obeying everything that you say, but Lord, we pray that, that in addition to that, in addition to that, that you would work to deeply plant your word. In our hearts, so that it would bring forth fruit. we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Question for all of you here this morning: <clears throat> Who do you go to with your struggles and with your problems? Who do you go to for help with the weighty decisions of life, or when you're simply experiencing trouble? Who do you go to when you need help processing difficulties and challenges that you're facing? Maybe for some of you, particular faces are coming to mind, names are coming to mind. These people that you have made a practice of just going to, and maybe they come to you as well, and you help each other live. But maybe for some of you, faces don't come to mind, names don't come to mind. The question is, do you have friends, do you have people in your life, in your church, that you trust enough to go to? Or, or do you typically work through struggles and decisions and challenges on your own? I think many of us do work through many of these challenges and, and troubles we face so low. <laughs> Last week, we looked at the passage that Matt just read to us. And we're actually going back to that passage again this week, although we're not really going to jump into the passage once again, we're just going we're, we're to settle there for a while and I'll try to explain why. The title of last week's passage was In Full Stride and, and um, it was my attempt at kind of a clever little pa- title, but, but here's what it means. What we saw last week in this passage in Ephesians chapter 5, 15 to 21, is that God is calling his people to walk in a particular way. To take strides, step by step, in order to live and walk in a particular way. And he tells us, here's how I want you to walk. I want you to walk in wisdom. Walk as wise, not as unwise. And he tells us, here's another way I want you to walk. I want you to understand what the will of the Lord is. And then lastly, he says, this is how you should walk as well. As you're walking, you should be filled with the Spirit. Ongoingly, keep being filled with the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God in you. In fact, it's through being filled with the Spirit in an ongoing sense that you will be able to walk wisely and understand the will of the Lord. And so, God's desire for us is that we would walk in full stride, take steps walking through life while we are filled and full with His presence, by His Spirit. What we're doing today is we're tweaking the title of that message a little bit, and we're looking at what it looks like to walk in full stride together. I made the point last week that We as God's people are not meant to, he does not want us to walk through life and stumble and fall and get up again and try again and do all those things in isolation. He wants us to do all those things together with other people who are also seeking to walk in wisdom and understanding the will of the Lord. You see, he wants his spirit-filled people to walk in community with other spirit-filled people. That means that we don't have the luxury of saying, listen, I'm, I'm, my walk is my business and your walk is your business. I'll do me, you do you. That's the way our culture approaches life sometimes, but that's not the way we're called to approach life. Instead, God tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, we should actually be one of the results of being filled with the spirit and seeking to walk wisely and understanding god's will is that we will submit to one another in reverence to the lord submit to one another and that that can be unpacked to mean many different there's many there's a lot of meaning packed into that is what i'm trying to say but one of the things it means is that we do not walk in isolation it means that your problems are my problems my problems are yours Our struggles as individuals in the church become the concerns of the church as a whole. Why? Because as Paul says elsewhere in the New Testament, we are members of one another. We are together part of this community that Jesus is building. And so, we're meant to walk together. And when we stumble, we're meant to help each other up. When we stray, we're meant to help each other back to the path, the path of following Christ again. It's a big part of what it means to be the church. And see, Paul is writing to a church in the book of Ephesians. And what he's telling us is that the local church, every local church, with all of its faults, with all of its shortcomings, is designed by God to be a community of people who both give help and receive help from one another. On this walk, God forms this community of redeemed individuals. He gives them his spirit, not only individually, but as a community. He indwells them by his spirit, and he says, do this. Walk together in wisdom and in love, and understanding the will of the Lord. So this passage, there's a passage we looked at some weeks ago, back in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 to 16, which I'll just read to you now you can look it up with me Ephesians 4 chapter 15 to I mean chapter 4 verses 15 to 16 says this It says rather that is rather than being deceived rather than believing lies speak the truth in love Rather speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The imagery that God is using here is the church as a body. And he says that one of the ways that you will grow up into maturity as a body, one of the ways that we know that the body is functioning healthy, it's growing, and it's turning into the mature adult that it's meant to be, is when people are speaking truth and love to one another. Speaking truth and love. That's what we're going to talk a bit about today as well. How do we walk together in light of Ephesians 5, 15-21? How do we speak truth in love to one another? As, in, as we're told to do in Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. And part of the reason that we're stopping and dealing with this a little bit, we were actually supposed to be in the next um, uh, chunk of verses. We're supposed to be talking about husbands and wives and marriage today. We're not going to do that. And the reason is because I feel like over the past several weeks, I keep saying, look, as a church, we're meant to be walking in community. We're meant to be bearing each other's burdens. We're meant to be helping one another. And I feel like I'm placing a burden on us in a sense because I'm saying this is what God's calling us to. But I feel like that's very, that can be burdensome if we don't stop and say, wait a second, how, what does this look like? What are some very basic, simple steps that we can take in this direction? What are some simple things we can do to start walking side by side together like this? So that's what I'd like to do today. Give you some simple, basic ways that we can start walking this way. Some of what I'm going to share today, you're going to say, oh, I'm already doing that. I'm living that way. If so, praise God. Some of what I'm going to share today, you're going to say, duh, that's pretty obvious. Yeah, maybe it is obvious. I think everything I'm going to say today is obvious, to be honest. But, but, it's simple, it's honest, it's super hard. Super hard. That's why, that's why the Apostle Paul says we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit if we're actually going to live this way. So, let me jump in. Let me give you a few things that we can do. What, what does it look like practically to walk together? It involves at least these things. And, and maybe you're thinking of others as I go along. You can write those down. Share them with me. Share them with your care groups. I'd love to hear those. But here are some basics and, and that, I, that I want to share with you. One... Walking together involves pushing deeper in our conversations. It involves pushing deeper in our conversations. I once had a student from Turkey, back when I used to teach English as a second language. I had a student from Turkey who had been in the US for a few months. And uh, one day in class, he asked me, he says, What, what do Americans mean when they say, How you doing? And I told him, here's what how you doing means. It means, how are you? How's your life? What's going on in your life? And he says, no, it can't mean that. I said, what do you mean? He says, because my neighbor every day, he says, how you doing? And then he walks away from me. And he he says, how you doing? He gets in his car. He says, hey, how you doing? He walks to his backyard. And he's like, I thought it meant how are you? So I try to tell him, but he's always like gone before. So he said, I figured out. Now my neighbor says, how you doing to me? I just say, how you doing to him? And we both go our separate ways. He's becoming American. He's assimilating. This speaks to a lot of the way we communicate with each other, I think. We, we engage in polite formalities. And, and even when we engage in conversation, it goes beyond how you do doing. You know, and I know, that sometimes these conversations, they don't really go beyond talking about recent events or about our shared interests. And I'm not saying there's no place for any of that. Those, those casual conversations, they're part of being human. They're part of the way God wired us and we're meant to be interacting along those lines, but I'm saying that in order for us to walk together in the way that God's called us to walk together, we need to go deeper, we need to go deeper. Sometimes within church, I've I've found that our relationships can become event-based relationships. Do You know what this means? Sociologists talk about event-based relationships. These are friendships that really are formed around a shared event. You do something together, so you're on the same bowling team together, I mean, I don't even know if bowling teams exist anymore. But at one time, Americans would be on bowling teams and they would do that together. And all their activities would revolve around, or all, their, all their, their interactions would revolve around, they're on the same team, they bowl together, they drink together, and then they go home. And Within the church, I think it's possible for us to do the same thing. So that our interactions with each other are all based around certain events and certain prescribed activities. So we sit next to each other, we worship together, we pray together, Perhaps even we go over discussion questions together. We can do all those things. I'm not saying any of these things are bad. Those are rhythms that I think God has given us that are significant. They are very important. And I don't think that walking together as a church means getting rid of those things. No, no, no. I mean, I think we need to do those things. Read the Psalms together. Sing these songs together. Listen to the word together. All those activities are super important. I'm also saying, however, that our friendships are not meant to just be event-based I meant to go deeper than that. Sometimes it's easier to go deeper in our conversations with people that we've known longer. Perhaps you're closer with them, or, or they're just willing. Sometimes people in your life are just willing to talk about deeper issues more easily, like they take the conversation there quickly. But sometimes going deeper in our conversations, as you know, and I know requires a a willingness to embrace a certain discomfort and awkwardness. And and I resist that awkwardness so much. Sometimes I'm resisting it, and in my own mind I know I'm resisting it. I know I don't want things to get uncomfortable. I know I don't want things to get weird. And so we keep it up here. Superficial. Well, the awkwardness and the difficulty of it means that it requires us to pray and to depend on the Lord and say, Lord, use me, use me to help this brother or sister. Even as I'm getting ready to come to church, let's pray, Lord, use me as I go to this worship gathering, as I go to this care group gathering, or as I go to this person's house, use me in some small way. I'm not. I don't. I don't even. I'm not even looking for us to have these breakthrough conversations. Use me in some small way to help this brother or sister follow Jesus, to help this brother or sister deal with some of the major challenges that they're experiencing right now. Use me by your Spirit to do that, and use this person by your Spirit to do that in my life. And I think that praying that way can be one of the things that God uses to to reshape our conversations, to deepen our conversations. It's part of what we saw last week in Ephesians 5 where Paul talks about one of, the, one of the aspects of walking wisely is making the best use of the time. I think there's something to this, that we're called to make the best use of our time together in our relationships. Not by immediately making, not by avoiding anything that seems mundane or trivial and just making everything like hyper-spiritual. Every conversation doesn't need to be, obviously every conversation doesn't need to be a heart-to-heart Tear-filled conversation. But, making the best use of our time means that we will go deeper in those conversations, won't we? We won't allow interactions after interactions to pile up and pile up and pile up. Relationships to get older and older while we've never really plumbed the depths of what's going on in each other's hearts. So, walking together means going deeper in our conversations. Obvious, right? Yeah. Hard? No doubt. No doubt. No doubt. Second thing, walking together means asking questions and listening long. Asking questions and listening long. Look, the the path that we are walking as as human beings and as believers is a path that's filled with difficulties. The Bible says that there's no shortage of afflictions that we're going to face as we walk through life. And I think that I was just hearing this this weekend at a conference I was at, and it really resonated with me. Sometimes when we hear the word affliction, we think of affliction in terms of just suffering, right? Bad things that happen to me, that's affliction. It's true, but I think that when the Bible uses the word affliction, it's a little bigger than that. Affliction has to do not only with the bad things that are happening to you, affliction even has to do with your own sin and the way that your own sin is affecting you. Afflictions have to do with suffering, and it has to do with your own sin, and we've got plenty of both as we walk through life. And so, and so, we do our brother and sister a tremendous service when we are willing to ask them about what is afflicting them and we're willing to listen long and ask more and listen more and hear their stories about how God is working or their stories about how it seems like God is not working and they just feel alone and beaten up. I don't know if if you've ever felt this way, but sometimes when someone shares a problem with me, I feel pressure to say, to immediately try to understand it and immediately think, okay, here's what I think you should do to deal with this problem. There's this internal pressure that says, I don't know if it goes along with being a pastor. I don't know if it's because I'm a dad. I don't know if it's because I'm a man. I have no idea. But there's this you've heard the term mansplaining, right? if you haven't, you can look it up but I do feel like there's this tendency in my own heart to immediately want to say here's what you're going through and here's what you should do about it and and some of it's rooted in pride, but some of it's also rooted in this deep desire to really help like I don't want to just, I want to help well, I need to remind myself in those moments that one of the ways I will help this brother or sister is by asking and by listening long listening long When a brother or sister comes up to, to you, shares about a decision they're facing, or a problem they're facing, they're, they're entrusting you with something really valuable, something really significant. And it's so tempting to presume to know the root issue immediately and try to prescribe three steps to fixing the problem or an easy answer to what the decision should be. And God knows this is our tendency. It's one of the reasons that he tells us to be quick to listen, to be slow to speak. Christ himself, son of God, was willing to ask questions and listen long. And yet we, without the omniscience, without the wisdom, want to answer quickly. And then. As a result, I think sometimes we short-circuit those conversations that would end up being a lot more helpful, a lot more fruitful. We end up short-circuiting relationships who would probably grow and flourish more beautifully if we would simply listen longer. And when we we feel like we have an answer, listen a little longer. (laughs) Ask some more questions. how easy it is to, to miss the main point because we're quick to prescribe some kind of solution. How many times have I spoke past a concern because I was too quick with a response? And if I would listened a little longer, I would have understood a little more deeply. Not only that, I mean, when you take your troubles to a brother or sister, a person that you trust, and they're willing to listen long. And they're willing to ask you about your experiences and ask you about how you're thinking about it, ask you about what God is showing you in all this. As they ask you, now, doesn't that make you in your heart more prone to want to even hear whatever wisdom they have for you when the time comes? Because they have invested the time to listen, because they have invested the time to process and consider and maybe go away and pray or pray right there with you. When I, um, A few months back, we had a, a clogged drain in our sink, our kitchen sink, and um, I called a plumber to fix it. Some of you might say, why didn't you just fix it yourself? Don't judge me. You don't, you don't, I, it wouldn't have gone well. So I, I called a plumber in to fix this, this thing. The plumber comes in to fix my problem. I had a problem. I called in an expert. He came in. He didn't ask me about my history with plumbing problems. I didn't ask him to tell me about his experiences with plumbing problems. We didn't have to share that. He just came in, he fixed the thing, and he left. And I said, thank you, and I paid him. Exorbitantly. (laughs) Because he was an expert. We didn't walk together in life to solve my plumbing problem. He came in, he took care of it. That's what experts do. Maybe that's what consultants do. That's not what we're called to do in each other's lives. We're called to walk slowly with each other and ask and ask and understand and listen. And as we do so, we will be in a much better place to then provide help. We'll be in a much better place to then speak God's word into the life of the person we're seeking to help. We're also just giving time for God to work in our own hearts. We're giving time for God to give us some clarity for God to show us what we should say and how, if anything. Too often, we're thinking about what we're going to say next. Even listening itself gets short-circuited because we're thinking about what we're going to say next. Let's ask God to, to give us the grace we need to listen well and to listen long and to ask. Third thing, walking together also, oh, and by the way, actually, before I move on, I'll just read this passage to you from 1 Thessalonians 5.14. 1 Thessalonians 5.14. The, the Apostle Paul is talking to people like us in the church, and he's saying, this is, this is how I want you to minister to one another. This is how I want you to speak truth to one another and walk together. He says, I urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. One of the things this passage tells us is that ministering, speaking truth to one another in love is not a one-size-fits-all practice. We speak the same truth, or at least the same gospel, we speak God's word in different ways to different people depending on where they're at. We receive God's word in different ways depending on where we're at, and so this means that we need to listen long and ask questions so that we can find out how to best minister God's word, how we can... Or else we end up admonishing the weak, hurting the weak, speaking past the issues of the idle. Instead of encouraging the faint-hearted, we discourage the faint-hearted. This is what happens when we don't listen long and ask questions. Thirdly, walking together means disclosing truth about yourself. You see, walking together doesn't just mean asking questions and finding out about the troubles of our brothers and sisters so that we can help them. No, it means disclosing our own troubles so that we ourselves can get help. There's lots of reasons we need to do this. It's God's design that you would not just be the helper of your brother or sister, but that you would be a brother and sister in need of help. And really, there's no shame in that. The plumber who came over my house didn't ask me for advice on how to fix his pipes because he's an expert. He's there to fix me. Within the church, we are not experts applying our trade in each other's lives. We are people in need of help providing our brothers and sisters with help. And so we come not just asking, how can I help you? But we come saying, I need help from you. So as you listen and you seek to speak truth and love to your brother, I want to encourage you, I want to encourage myself to speak truth about ourselves as an act of love. This, this, this is one of the reasons it's so important, is because it reminds us that we're fellow travelers. It humbles us to remember that we are walking side by side. I haven't arrived, and neither have you. We're not standing at the finished line of life saying, hey, if you, if you stay the course, stay right, pace yourself, you'll be fine. No, we're we're side by side with each other, helping each other up, leaning on one another. So we need to disclose truth about ourselves. One of the other reasons I think we need to do this, tell each other about our own struggles, one of the other reasons I, I think we need to do that is because it helps us to be able to relate well to one another. So, for instance, it keeps us from viewing our brother and sister judgmentally and saying, you're struggling with that? Really? Seriously? Your marriage looks like that right now? No. Disclose truth about ourselves. We say, look, your struggles are unique to you in some way, but here's what I have experienced. Here's what I have experienced and maybe out of my own experiences I can draw wisdom that can help you or maybe out of my own experience I'm just going to tell you what I've experienced and we both go to God together to find rescue, to find change, to find healing. Disclose truth about yourself. And I, I think this can go wrong sometimes. I've seen it go wrong. I think I've done it wrong. Um, there's, a, there's a, a comedian by the name of Jim Gaffigan, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he tells a joke about people who um, tell stories competitively. He says they, 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 they're the kind of people, you're sitting on a table, and someone shares something, like, you know, oh man, I had a rough week this week, here's what happened to me, and this is the guy who always needs to tell a story that like, beats that one. You know? He's like, you had a rough week, listen to my week. So it's an effort. It kind of—it's kind of like I'm relating to you, but I'm really beating you with my story, you know. So this can happen in churches. You know, it's like the, it's like you know, someone someone says, I uh, I had a you know, I I just flew in from LA last night and it was a terrible flight, turbulence. I could barely sleep, crying baby, and you know, the competitive storyteller guy the guy's like, you think that was a bad flight? You know. my, my plane went down over the Atlantic a few months ago and. I holding on to a seat for three hours, and I'm never flying united again, you know? And, but how does this happen for us? It happens when we, someone shares a trouble they're having with an addiction, or a trouble they're having with a particular sin struggle, or a decision they're facing, and we say, oh, yeah, oh, I know how that is. Here's what, here's, here's what I experienced. And maybe even here's how I, here's how I, I overcame it. Goodbye and we just leave. So what does that person feel like? That person doesn't feel like you've related to them in, your, in their struggles. You've just beat them with your story. So, my point is, and then I also think, and the reason I mention this, it might seem like a random point, it's not necessary to mention, the reason I mention it is because when we are in the midst of struggle, when we are in the midst of suffering, we are particularly, particularly sensitive to that. We're sensitive to people who come in and, and rather than listening and trying to minister, just kind of share their own stories that make ours seem kind of lame, and then move on. So, so it's disclosing what's going on in your life, me disclosing what's going on in my life, so that together, not so that we can commiserate, but so that together we can look to Christ for hope. Because ultimately, you're not the hope of the person sitting next to you. Like one guy once said, we're just beggars showing other beggars where they can find food. We are fellow travelers pointing one another to Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4:15 speaks to this beautifully. And, and here's how it speaks to this. Even if, even if you or I cannot relate to the struggles of our brothers and sisters, even if you cannot relate as hard as you try to the struggle that your brother or sister is telling you about, it feels so foreign to you, it feels so different. I've never been there. Look at what Hebrews 4.15 says. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one, here's our high priest, one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to his throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. Even if you cannot relate to your brother or sister's struggle, even if I cannot sympathize, here's the awesome truth of the gospel Jesus sympathizes. Jesus didn't just die for your sins, he experienced your suffering. He is familiar with the afflictions, both the afflictions in the form of the effects of sin and the afflictions in the form of temptation. So your ability to help your brother or sister to encourage, to provide guidance it doesn't come from the fact that you understand that person their weaknesses, their temptations no, it comes from the fact that Jesus understands that person. Jesus understands the temptations and the weaknesses perfectly. He's our wonderful counselor and he knows and he sympathizes. You know what sympathize means? It means it means to feel alongside that's what the bible word sympathize means anyway to feel at the same time to feel with you and here's the takeaway it means that we can point to him and say this is where we find grace not just this is where you find grace in your struggle with pornography or in your struggle with alcoholism or addiction or in your struggle with relational issues no Here's where we find hope. Here's where we find grace. So let's together draw near to him. Let's together draw to, into his presence. Another thing. This is the last one I'll mention. Walking together means trusting God's word. It means trusting what God says. And this is vital. I'm going to read to you a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, 20th century German uh, pastor, theologian, and martyr. He says, How shall we ever help a Christian brother and set him straight in his difficulty and doubt if not with God's own words? All our own words quickly fail. (laughs) Our words quickly fail, don't they? He who can speak out of the abundance of God's words, the wealth of directions and admonitions and consolations of scriptures, he will be able through God's word to drive out demons and help his brother. You see, there's power in God's word, Bonhoeffer says. And so when we're only speaking out of our own experiences and we're only speaking from our own life lessons and our own advice, and we're only saying, yeah, I've been there. Here's what I did. And our worlds are weak. They fail consistently. But Bonhoeffer says, no, God's word, that's able to bring rescue, to bring healing, to bring change. And, and we don't, even if Bonhoeffer never said this, God said this. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. For the word of God is living, and active. You know this verse, right? Most of you do. Many of you do. And if you don't, it's a beautiful verse. For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. You see, the author of Hebrews is telling us something about God's word. It's much more powerful than we give it credit for. We read God's word simply because we're looking for information sometimes, or because we're fulfilling some kind of duty, or we ask God to, to, to remind us of his words just because we want like tips for life sometimes. God says, my word is actually alive, and it's active, and it's doing things. It's incredible, really, if we look closely at these words. He says, it's living and it's active, and yet it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow. It's, and, and so so you, first he talks about it as if it's living and active, almost like it's some kind of animal, some kind of creature. But then he says it's like a two-edged sword. It's sharp and it, and it cuts and it pierces the way that a surgeon's scalpel would. But then he says, and it discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Wait a second, so this word, it's not only just an instrument that cuts, but the word actually has the power to discern what's going on in our hearts. In verse 13, he says, and no creature is hidden from his sight. From whose sight? From the word sight or from God's sight? It's like you can't even tell what he's talking about anymore. Is he talking about the word now or is he just talking about God? And I think the point is that God works so powerfully by his word. He so associates himself with his word spoken to us through the power of the Holy Spirit that at times it's almost undiscernible, the distinction. God sees our deepest needs and he addresses those deepest needs. And he does this through his spirit-inspired word. And he does this through people like us who are given his spirit and then commissioned to speak his word to one another. That's incredible. And so we need to trust God's word. (laughs) Do you believe what Hebrews 4, 12 and 13 says? If you do, then it means that when we're seeking to help one another, we'll be saying, Lord, what do you want me to say to this person? What are your words that you would like me to give to this person? And you'll be ministering, in many cases, out of the ways that God has already been ministering to you. Considering the things that you have been learning from God in his word. The things that he's been teaching you as you've meditated on his scriptures as you've been listening to him and you will seek to minister to other people out of that, out of what you've been learning, out of what he's been showing you. Have you ever had the experience that sometimes the very needs that people bring to you are addressed in the very things that God has been showing you privately and you weren't even sure why? I believe God does that. He does it often. God's word, as someone recently said, is tailored specifically to human needs. The word of God that we have is not just, it's not just a record of things that God has said. These are God's words to us, his church, to us, his people. And they address the very needs that we have. They're tailor-made for that to connect with us where we are. We were, we were singing, my, my kids and I were singing this little song based on Psalm 55 that says, I'm um, cast your cares on the Lord. He will sustain you. He will never, never, never let the righteous fall. He will never, never, never let the righteous fall. And as we're, we're singing the song together, we're reading it on the little screen, you know, and I, and I could say with full confidence this is true, yes, it's not just true, but this is God's word to kids who are starting a new school in September. I can say with full confidence to my children, this is God's word to children like you, to you, starting school next September. It's God's word to me, pastor, just start a new church, and it's word to you as you consider what you're going to do in the coming years. When to move to Africa, and whether, and how. As you start a career, in in all those needs, it's not just that God's word is relevant to all those needs, it's that God's word was actually written specifically for you in those needs. Tailored to them. And so we can trust God's word. So this means, simply, the simple obvious takeaway is this, as we seek to walk together and help one another, let's not just depend on our own experiences, our own education, our own abilities, Let's depend on God's word. Let's look to it together. And when we don't have words to say, let's cry out to God and ask God to show us in his word what is true, to remind us of what is real, so that together we can help each other not view God through the lens of our experiences, but view our experiences through the lenses of who God is. That is not to view our difficulties and challenges and then say, God must be so and so because of what I'm experiencing right now. Because of the challenge, because of thy suffering, God must be far. Or because of my sin, God must be impotent. Or because of the shambles in which I find my marriage, God must not care. You see, that's all interpreting who God is in light of our circumstances. God wants us to help each other flip that and see who God is in light of what he has done and who he says he is to interpret our lives in light of the gospel. We need each other to help us do that. When we sing songs together, we're helping each other do that. In our conversations, we're meant to be helping each other do that. And all this, I believe, is part of what it means to submit to one another in reverence for Christ. All of this, I believe, is part of what it means when Ephesians 5 talks about, Matt read it earlier, it means when he says, understand the will of the Lord. This is part of the will of the Lord for us, that we'd walk in this way. Part of the will of the Lord. Jesus says it himself. Galatians 6 says, bear each other's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. As you are, as we are bearing each other's burdens, we're fulfilling Christ's law. We are doing the will of the Lord. If we are not bearing each other's burdens or sharing our burdens with one another so that others can help us with them, not fulfilling the law of Christ. So let's do it. Let's be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's seek the presence of God, and ask Him to fill us ongoingly, so that we can then, out of the ways that He is ministering to us, then minister to one another, serve one another. I don't believe that's just you know one person's or or a group of people's vision. For the church i believe that's christ's vision for the church and i think we'd do well to embrace it and stumblingly together work out what it looks like i'm hoping we can begin a conversation a conversation on maybe some other practices that you believe would help us to walk together in addition to the four or five or whatever it is i just gave you let's commit ourselves to that and let's ask god for the grace to do it Lord God, we thank you that as our Father you show us how to live. But we pray, our God, that you give us the faith and the trust we need to believe what you tell us about how we should live. Lord, we're prone to isolation. Many of us are. We're prone to want to tackle life on our own and, and sometimes we don't even know why. Is it because our culture has influenced us the way it has? Is it Is it our upbringing? Who knows? We know this. You've told us, Lord, in the Proverbs, that he who isolates himself breaks out against all sound judgment. Lord, we want wisdom, and we know that we'll find that as we seek to walk together. So, by your Spirit, would you help us to do that? We will stumble, we will fail. But Lord, we pray that you'll accomplish your purposes regardless. Help us, Lord, to be humble enough to ask others to bear our burdens with us. Help us to be loving enough to seek to bear each other's burdens with them. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.